Welcome to The Bonfire. I am your host, Morgan, and this is a podcast about video game news, reviews, speculation, and rumors. This week, I'll be covering the Game Awards nominations and drama, The Last of Us 2 getting a remaster, somehow, more and more layoffs, and much, much more. A few things before we get started. On YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, consider becoming a member, hit the like button, and comment down below, even if it's just to say hello. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review on Spotify or iTunes to help people find the show. A special thanks to all of the patrons and YouTube members, including producer level Hassan and YouTubes, and supporter level Neuronix, PK, Cage Nephilim, and Horseman. If you're interested in supporting this podcast for as little as $1 per month, please check out patreon.com slash bonddiesel or become a member on YouTube. Gaming news. This week, we have a bunch of topics. First, the Game Awards nominations have been announced. The premiere announcement being uh, Game of the Year, where we have six nominees. We have Baldur's Gate 3, Alan Wake 2, Tears of the Kingdom, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Spider-Man 2, and the Resident Evil 4 Remake. This is basically the list I expected. I, I'm i mostly good with it. I, I understand um, why all of these are on here. I think the two that maybe feel a little odd man out are Mario Bros. Wonder and the Resident Evil 4 Remake. Uh... Wonder, it's tough to say that though, because Wonder reviewed so spectacularly. So, really, it's maybe just a lack of familiarity with that game. Um, the Resident Evil 4 remake is a really interesting one because this year, maybe even more so than others, we've had such a big debate on what kind of game should qualify for Game of the Year. Um, and that's going to vary depending on the venue, what organization is doing the game of the year like everyone has their own takes right so as we see now in the game awards it seems like new releases and remakes qualify there's other publications like the giant bomb where it sounds like you could essentially nominate a game that came out years ago and if in the way they do their game of the year if you could convince everyone that that's the right choice then that's what would happen now i think that cooler heads would prevail there and keep that from happening but they basically just don't have a limit. And so with this year, there's, you know, the, the two big things is that remakes with the Dead Space remake and Resident Evil 4, as well as um, even DLC or patches or whatever you want to consider it with Cyberpunk 2077 and Phantom Liberty, there was a lot of speculation or at least high hopes that maybe this year we would see a remake, make it into the Game of the Year nominations, and maybe even a game that actually came out multiple years ago, like Cyberpunk. Now, the Cyberpunk hopes were kind of dashed, uh, but we did get Resident Evil 4 in here, and I kind of don't care that much. I, I think having a remake in uh, a year where there were so many good original games is a bummer. Um, there was a hot take by a journalist I saw that I thought was kind of dumb where they're like, it's a shame to see that, uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was super Mario brothers. Wonder is the only game on here that isn't, uh, like a sequel or a previously existing game. 
uh well that's a shame like that's kind of a i think that's a bad take uh baldur's gate 3 is technically a sequel but it's literally by a brand new dev and it's a brand new game and style of game at least in large part alan wake 2 is the is a sequel to a game from more than 10 years ago um i i think you can make that argument with tears of the kingdom and spider-man 2 i mean they are for all intents and purposes you know gigantic extremely good expansions essentially to the games that came before them um and the resident evil 4 remake is interesting because it is a brand new game from scratch that is extremely heavily influenced by another game that came out many years ago uh, but it does have you know all of the modern mechanics and technologies and all of the things you expect from a modern game so like i get the argument for it being there i just think that resident evil 4 especially there's like five games you could argue that deserve that last spot now for what for all it's worth none of those games would win including resident evil 4. this is a pretty clear horse race in my opinion between Baldur's Gate 3 and Tears, I think Baldur's Gate 3 has been dominating that conversation for a while. I, I think that maybe Alan Wake 2 could sneak in there and, and maybe steal a victory, especially due to people being split between Tears and Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, where like last year we had Ragnarok, uh, the God of War sequel, and Elden Ring, when you know it was basically just between those two games. This year I think there is a very legitimate three-way race and it's really interesting how that could lead to one of them winning that we didn't really expect uh, but i don't know which one like that's the thing so um, my personal game of the year i think i've settled on probably is Baldur's gate 3 i really 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 like um alan wake 2 but i haven't finished it yet and in a weird turn, I've kind of lost motivation to keep playing it. It's not the game's fault um, for me. And, and we talked about it last week, but uh, in seven day was last week for Mass Effect. I made a ton of content and I spent a lot of time thinking about that stuff. And I honestly haven't really played many games in the last week because it's just I, I'm just kind of toasted a little bit. I've just been kind of just hanging out and um I still intend on finishing Alan Wake 2 this year, and I do want to do a whole episode uh, with some kind of focus on uh, my Game of the Year thoughts and kind of putting together my own list. I do want to even try to do something with uh, the people who listen uh, on YouTube and in the podcast and on my Discord and stuff and, and try to have maybe like, 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 like some kind of Game of the Year discussion that involves everyone uh, where maybe I have all of you uh, pick a Game of the Year in various ways. Uh, and, and we talk about that and then I kind of give uh, my own list. So we will, uh, you know, be on the lookout for that. So, but yeah, if, if I had to put my money, if I was a, if I was a betting man, I would put my money in Baldur's Gate three, uh, to, to win, uh, at least the Jeff Keeley game of the year award for, uh, the game awards, uh, ceremony. So, um, with that, we know that that show is coming up on December 7th. I do plan on, uh, co-streaming that there's been, uh, some interesting things, uh, even amongst the nominations, uh, in that the indie game category, uh, there's actually two of them. There's, uh, I believe like, like, uh, first, like, like their first indie game and then just like a general best indie. And, um, there's a lot of controversy that, uh, the game dredge was involved in this. 
uh, even though they have a publisher and they are owned by, I think it's Naxon or Nexon, who is a gigantic company. Um, and so nothing about Dredge is indie. Um, the studio is an in-house studio for a gigantic publisher um, or, or a very wealthy publisher at least. And so it literally doesn't qualify as an indie game at all, except in style. Uh, and then you don't have Baldur's Gate 3 on these lists, even though it is very much an indie game, even though its budget and scale and its team is as big as any AAA uh, game. But they don't have a publisher. They're self-published, which is the technical definition of an indie game. And so it's really interesting having a game that uh, isn't a technically independent game uh, on these indie best game list and 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 Baldur's Gate three, which would just easily win both you know at least the best indie game of the year award, it was left off. Um, and so I'm really curious too if there will ever be any conversation from Jeff about that. Uh, he claims he doesn't uh, monitor or kind of editorialize these awards in any way. I mean, we'll never really know. Um, but I'm uh, it, it's an interesting conversation that people have been having. Uh, another one is there's been kind of a back and forth and people um, really encouraging Jeff to make some kind of statement um, uh, uh, about all of the layoffs that have happened this year. Uh, there's been so many more layoffs even in the last week that at the end of the show, I have a layoff roundup because for some reason that's a thing that we have to have um, because there's three stories to talk about with that. And, um, and, and it's interesting. There's some people who feel like uh, Jeff doesn't really that's not you know the point of the game awards he doesn't need to to bring that stuff up it's a it's a moment for celebration and then there's other people who feel like he uh you know has a, a large voice and a large influence in the game industry and that he should use that for good um my thing is that like i agree i think he should use his influence and his platform to you know even just call out some of the kind of gross stuff that's going on in the industry um, he's been asked to do this before. I believe that years ago there was a thing of kind of getting him to try to push like, you know, some of the abuse that like, you know, uh, that women receive in gaming, both as uh, in communities and in the development sphere, um, especially when it comes to, to game devs and how they're treated uh, differently and, and, and so on and so forth. If I remember correctly, it was a pretty half hearted effort. Um, and what's interesting here is, is I, some of the call outs, for Jeff to, to to say something about this seems to come from a place of people thinking that Jeff is like the 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 the, the king of gamers and and he's like here to you know represent our concerns and stuff. Like I hope people are beginning to realize that Jeff Keighley is like the most corporate person in games. Like he is. Uh, if he was starting up his cyberpunk playthrough, he wouldn't even see the other selections. He would pick Corpo immediately. <laughs> like I, I, I really, it's, it's interesting how he, even he has kind of tried to foster this persona of like the anti E3 where like, um, you know, the, 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 Oh, what are the ESA is, is a literal, um, like basically political influence group, uh, that, you know, is, is tries to push the, uh, the perspective or the interest of all of the big gaming companies uh, in in American government, and I assume probably international government as well. So trying to you know you know regulation and things like that, trying to keep those at bay. And so the ESA is 
a, a gross political involved uh, corpo, you know, suck upping, uh, you know, organization. So um, it's always been really interesting to me how uh, Keeley pushes so hard and kind of like trying to paint the ESA and, and E3 is, you know, this, you know, he's always taking his pot shots at them and, and doing his thing with announcing things right after E3 announces bad news and stuff. When, you know, people need to realize that he is, he is just as corporate, but he's one person. He, it's literally uh, put down into one person who seems to really, really, really care a lot about, you know, rubbing elbows with famous people and getting deals with all of the biggest publishers and studios to show off their games. And um, I, I know that there's always this thing of people being like, oh, well, he, you know, he charges or, you know, people to have trailers on his show and uh, he has to do these commercials you know, that kind of look like trailers, but they're really just commercials during a show. And, you know, like, I hope people realize that he, he does that for some of those, but he almost certainly uh, is is volunteering or even paying for some of the exclusives he gets. Like, like this isn't a, you know, like, charitable situation or anything like that. And so I just, um, people wanting and hoping that Jeff Keighley is going to take some, like, anti-corporate, anti-publisher anti-firing people because capitalism is gross stance must not be paying attention to who this guy is he's you know he's he's essentially gotten to where he is through like nepotism through his dad's connections and in the film industry and you know you know likely with privilege and things like that in general and like yeah like he's got a cool story that he started writing and stuff as a teenager but you know he got he got that access you know because of connections, right? Like it's, it wasn't just a normal thing to happen that could have happened to anybody. So I just, I, I, I hope that I'm wrong and I hope that he does take a stance and, and have something significant to say and uh, kind of pointing out how greedy and gross uh, these, this layoff situation is and what's been going on this year and in other years uh, and forever in some ways. Uh, but I don't know why people think that that's going to happen. I, that is, uh, other than to just do it for like some PR, um, which is like, again, a super corporate thing to do. I don't know. I'm not expecting it. If it happens, that's great. I'll, I'll be very, I'll be very proud of the boy. Um, okay. So moving on to some PlayStation news. We actually, this was kind of a slow week. So bear with me here uh, for PlayStation. Uh, there is uh, supposedly a PlayStation five version of the last of us two incoming this has been an ongoing conversation over the last, you know, so many years. Uh, it's focused around The Last of Us because it's the best example. But Sony does some weird stuff, man. Like, Sony does stuff that if they weren't the market leader in in their industry, in the gaming industry, if they weren't making so much more money than everyone else, and if they weren't putting out, like, really legitimately good games pretty consistently every year, um, people would like hate them if they if they could see through the veil, um, because what's going to happen here, and it's not confirmed yet. So if I'm wrong, I'll absolutely report on it later. But but this PlayStation Five version of The Last of Us Two, a game that only came out three years ago, is almost certainly going to be seventy dollars. And if and, it, and it's only if we're lucky that they'll do a upgrade path. So in some previous games, they have done a thing where. Say you own the PlayStation 4 version of The Last of Us 2. Uh, if you have that, you'll be able to pay 10 or 20 bucks to upgrade to the new version. But even that's gross because you know what's going to happen here is um, 
and, and I think sometimes, you know, this is a fandom thing. People kind of, kind of, you know, don't think about it or don't hold these companies to account because of fandom and stuff like that. But what, what, what this, the last of us two PlayStation five version is going to be for the most part is likely just better textures. And, and the reason people think that's an upgrade, cause I've even seen people call this a remaster or a, and it's not a remake for sure. And, it's like kind of a remaster, but even calling, you know, a next gen update for a game that's only three years old, a remaster feels gross to me because if Sony did day one PC games and, and say back in 2020, when the last of us two came out, they would have released the PlayStation four version that, um, had, you know, that ran the way it ran on the PlayStation four. And then they would have had a PC version. That was the same game but had basically where you could adjust your own settings and you would be able to adjust it up to 4k 240 FPS. Like you would have all that tech and you know, that ability. And then the PlayStation four version would just be, you know, they just would have all those settings dialed down. And then when the PlayStation five came out, they would have just done a next gen update, uh, that would have bumped up to 60 FPS, uh, given it all of the fidelity modes, uh, and, and then increased all of those settings to a point where the PlayStation five, you know, could run it better than the PS four, maybe not as good as top end PCs. Um, but, but they, they shouldn't charge for that. Like that's, that's a, that's just an update. That's a, that's a patch is what that should be. Um, but what, what's going to happen here is because there is no PC version. So people are going to convince themselves that, uh, the, the, the last of us, you know, PlayStation four edition didn't have these up textures, in the game already, which it almost certainly does. It's just, you know, it's level of detail and stuff. It keeps it lower for the PS4 and, uh, and even the PS5 when you're playing the PS4 version. Um, the people are going to convince themselves that this, this PS5 version that they're going to charge even an upgrade fee, but even up to a, a full $70 for is, is the same game. You know, they're going to convince themselves that they did all this work to put in the, the, these better graphics, but it's, you know, not to simplify things too much because this stuff is always more complicated than most of us think, but it's, it'll be essentially the equivalent of them ticking up some settings. Um, I've seen people talk about that. It could be like a director's cut and involve new content. And like, that's cool, but like that would probably amount to more of like a DLC or something like that, that maybe, you know, could still be just part of a patch, which a lot of games do. Or at least would just be like a, like maybe not seventy dollars, maybe it would be a thirty or forty dollar DLC, uh, because I've seen people say that that they may add you know some more missions, some more story elements, things like that. Um, unless they're gonna like double the size of the game or something, you're still getting to a point where, at least my interpretation and my my understanding, is that they won't like be redoing everything to have these this PS5 version. It's mostly just gonna be ticking up settings that should already be there because I assume they're working on the PC version as well that they'll put out in three more years. And, uh, and, and it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting because I brought this up in a few places, uh, specifically on the kind of funny subreddit, you know, kind of funny is technically not focused on any one platform due to the people who are in the company. And it's a very PlayStation centric company, uh, um, company and community, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's really weird how if you point out like, hey, this should probably just be an update uh, and, you know, this should, probably shouldn't be a $70 game or even a paid upgrade. You'll people go to the bat and, and, and will absolutely refuse to agree. And even to the point where people made the point, uh, 
uh, someone responded to me and said, well, when The Last of Us 1 came out uh, on PS3, they did a PS4 remaster like a year later and charge full price for it and, or, or charge for it. I, I don't know what the price is. And I want to like rip out what's left of my hair and be like, exactly. That's the problem. And you, but people have just gotten used to it or it's like a fandom console war thing. I don't know. Um, but, but we don't see this from other companies. We, uh, specifically, I just off the top of my head, I know that like, like the division two, um, did, you know, like a next gen upgrade. It wasn't huge. It basically just allowed, the next gen games to run at a higher quality and at 60 fps it's not like it was anything revolutionary but 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 they it wasn't they didn't charge for it it wasn't an upgrade fee it was just having the new console uh, there's been all these rumors for all these years of red dead redemption 2 and whether or not they would eventually have a a ps5 and xbox series version that would have you know 60 fps uh, 4k you know all of that stuff uh, and while that hasn't happened yet and it probably never will uh, it's they. I don't think they would charge for it. I could be wrong, but I believe when they did the same thing for Grand Theft Auto Five, uh, either with the PS4 or the PS5 or you know the the complementary Xbox versions, they as far as I know they didn't charge for it. So um, it, it's a weird thing. Like 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 just like The Last of Us Two just came out a couple years ago. <laughs> like it's not been out very long, and so to paint them putting out a next gen version. And charging for it and kind of cloud that by being like, well, it's a remaster. Like, I, I don't think you remaster three-year-old games. At least I don't think you do. I'm, I could be wrong. And this, just to be clear and just to throw it out there, maybe maybe this is my own bias. Maybe I'm not seeing this as clearly as I could. Uh, I do like Xbox. I would consider myself an Xbox fan. And I do tend to believe that PlayStation kind of gets away with what I consider anti-consumer moves. Um, because people just really like their platform and their games and because they kind of dominate the market. And so uh, there, there's kind of like a fandom thing that plays in. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about all of that. Maybe the, this is fair. Maybe they did put in so much work into this new version of The, the Last of Us 2. Uh, gonna, it's going to include so much stuff that it's going to be worth a full price game. And I'm just a fuddy-duddy that's... Uh, too focused on the console war to, to have a clear thought on this. I don't know, but you're welcome to tell me. On the Xbox front, the only real news I had was that uh, the NVIDIA GeForce Now uh, system, uh, their live streaming uh, you know, game playing system, uh, can now sync with Xbox Game Pass. So if you have NVIDIA GeForce Now and you have Game Pass, you can uh, hook those up together and play uh, your Xbox Game Pass games through nvidia geforce now which um, i've always heard extremely good things about that service from nvidia uh it's the you know depending on the tier you pay for um you can get the equivalent uh performance from some pretty impressive spec machines uh and it's just streaming you just do everything through streaming now it i assume has all of the caveats there of of typical uh you know streaming issues when it comes to latency and uh, needing a fast connection and and some graphical hitches and stuff, but uh, if, if that's a thing you're into or you like, and you already have both of these, then it looks like this could be a complimentary service. And then we have Nintendo, where uh, we found out that Bandai Namco is creating uh, a couple new Nintendo-focused studios uh, to so that they can kind of uh, probably you know, separate your know, responsibilities a bit. And we have Studio Two and Studio S, and they will focus on uh, Mario Kart. Uh, Smash Brothers and other games. 
Um, this shouldn't be that surprising because uh, the, the probably the worst kept secret in gaming is that more than likely in 2024, Nintendo is going to have their next gen uh, console will come out, the uh, successor of the Switch. And it's almost certain that there's going to be a new Mario Kart and a new Smash Brothers game and a bunch of other you know games that you just expect to come out whenever Nintendo has new hardware. So I, I'm assuming this is just preparation for that. I don't think there's anything that crazy here. I suspect I, I'm starting to get a feeling that from all three of the big platforms, we're going to see some like really big announcements at the beginning of 2024 because we don't we don't know anything for PlayStation right now. Like we, there's rumors that the Wolverine game from uh, Insomniac could come out next year, but so shortly after Spider-Man two, that's kind of hard to believe, but they, they put out games quickly. And so it's possible. But other than that, there's just a lot of rumors. Like we know that the, uh, the final fantasy seven uh, remake, uh, the second part of it is coming next year. And, for at least for now and probably forever, that's an, that's a PlayStation exclusive, but it's still not a first party game. Um, so it's weird. I, I'm, I'm expecting at some point to get some big blowout announcement. There's also the possibility that for PlayStation, that the COVID may finally be catching up to them. I, I think that PlayStation's done such a fantastic job of putting out a bunch of amazing games in the years uh, during COVID and then shortly after where you've seen Xbox and some of the other big publishers really struggle with that. Um, it seems like PlayStation just had a bunch of games in the right part of the pipeline uh, where like The Last of Us 2 came out, um, the Spider-Man 2 just came out recently, God of War Ragnarok last year. Um, and, and while they had some delays and stuff, it's still it was just, you know, we, we haven't seen that that downtick in production from PlayStation. And I'm starting to wonder if that maybe all of the time they spent, all the time and resources they spent making sure those games came out the last few years may mean that maybe 2024 is could be a slower year for PlayStation. Or not. Maybe they'll have like 10 bangers. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, same with Xbox. I'm just like they did last year. I'm expecting in January or maybe early February for them to do a showcase of basically this is what we have this year. Here it is. Here's here's what we're putting out. Uh, the rumors right now are games like Sinuous Saga. Uh, there's been rumors of like the Perfect Dark game and stuff. I'm not expecting that. Same with Fable. Um, I, I haven't really heard any rumors or any talk about how far along those games are, but it certainly doesn't seem like they're in a place where we're going to see them in the next year, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, so I, I, I suspect we'll get that from Xbox and then Nintendo. I think it's pretty easy to assume that fairly early in the year, we're going to have some big showcase from them where they show off their new console and they, uh, do a bunch of uh, announcements for games that are coming for that console. So, uh, I, I think the beginning of 2024 could end up being a pretty fun year, uh, for gamers. Uh, moving on to non-platform, uh, big platform news. We have Larian, uh, the makers of Baldur's Gate 3, have announced that they are putting out a physical deluxe edition of that game for $79.99, which includes the game, a physical version of that game, and includes, like, none of it looks like that crazy, but a bunch of swag, maps and stickers and uh, a three-disc soundtrack and all kinds of crazy stuff. So... Um, if you don't have Baldur's Gate 3 already, this if you want the hard, you know, physical version of it, 
this is a really, really, really good deal. Uh, and even if you're just a big fan of the franchise and the game, uh, I know I think a lot of people are going to buy it just for that. And it's still not that bad of a deal. Like, I, I think it's probably worth it. For most people, I, I think that game has definitely brought in a fan base that wasn't there before. And, and I think things like this are going to get eaten up. Um, they've also kind of, without actually saying it, uh, announced it sounds like at the game awards they're going to make an announcement about the xbox version of uh, baldur's gate 3 and it's almost certain that we'll be getting a release date for that and there's even some rumors that they may do a shadow drop and release it during the show um, what's interesting about this is this comes on the heels of some news recently where supposedly while they were trying to make uh, baldur's gate 3 work on the xbox series s they found a way to um, potentially save around 34% of, of RAM, of memory, uh, that the game needs to run on, which would be huge. Uh, one, to just get it working on the Series S, which has been the, the reason it's been delayed on Xbox, uh, which means it will run way better on the PlayStation and Series X, um, PlayStation 5 and Series X. And then, it, honestly, even for PC players, probably means that we're going to see a pretty big performance boost uh, for Baldur's Gate 3 because they... Um, you know, it, it's a pretty intense game, especially in the in the later uh, gameplay in, in Act Three. Um, it, it's a pretty hardware intensive game. So cool! I'm glad more people are going to get to play this. I still think that Xbox should be kicking themselves in the butt uh, for not getting this game day one on Game Pass because uh, for the price, I think they mentioned, I think it was like five million dollars. They they would have. Oh man! Out of all of those leaks that came from the Activision. Uh, acquisition trials and and documents that leak right there where they could have gotten that game very cheap exclusive day one on uh on the on the xbox that 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 that, that one stings and that one's probably got to sting for quite a while uh we had uh, the announcement of a new studio uh, mac walters formerly of bioware for a really long time uh, announced uh, that they are heading up a new studio called worlds unite uh and is that's owned by netties um, so th this is kind of a mixed one as someone who's become a very big Mass Effect fan, uh, but has missed out on a majority of the drama and all of the stuff over the years, uh, knowing that Mac Walters has been around even before Mass Effect uh, at Bioware, but specifically being a lead writer on Mass Effect 2 and 3, uh, and then, you know, I believe being one of the directors on, uh, on Andromeda and then being, I believe, uh, in charge of the story and Anthem. And then for a short time being on Dragon Age Dreadwolf before he left recently, um, I get the general feeling that like, this is one of those announcements that you would think Bioware fans would be like, Oh yes. Yeah. Cool. Another Bioware, uh, vet is, is doing a new studio and they're going to make, they're going to make the games that Bioware can't make anymore. I got a much more muted response on this one. I, I don't want to say the community doesn't like Mac Walters, but a lot of people blame Mac for a lot of the pretty big issues when it comes to story and lore and Mass Effect 2 and 3. And uh, it definitely seems like this announcement was kind of like people were like, oh, cool. I mean, he is an industry vet, so that's good. But I didn't really see anyone being like, oh, crap, I can't wait for Mac Walters' new game. Uh, you know, the way that people kind of are with like Casey Hudson. Uh, who is another uh, Bioware bigwig and the creator of Mass Effect when he founded his own studio, uh, Humanoid. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out in the long run. Uh, what's interesting about these studio announcements is that 
it, it is always interesting to see the announcement, but then you kind of have to remember that that you know they aren't going to be putting out a game for five or six years at least. Like that's going to be uh, that, that that won't have any fruit <laughs> for a very long time. So uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. A game people have been waiting a long time for the fruit of is Dragon's Dogma 2. Um, a release date might have gotten leaked uh, due to the uh, European ratings board, Peggy, um, having uh, putting out their rating for the game, uh, as well as what appeared to be a release date uh, of March 22nd, 2024. Uh, this was around the same time that Capcom and the developers of Dragon's Dogma uh, put out that they're going to be doing a 15-minute uh, showcase, gameplay showcase, on November 28th. Um, this is a game that I'm kind of low-key really excited for, especially after getting so into Baldur's Gate 3. Um, I'm not really into high fantasy medieval-style games, but I love Baldur's Gate 3. And while Dragon's Dogma is not a turn-based game, which is something I'm actually excited about, um, it definitely has uh, similar vibes. Um, the, the original Dragon's Dogma has a re, uh, it's a remaster, or I think it's a remaster. I don't think it's a remake. That was done for, I believe, the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Uh, I think it's originally a PS3 uh, and 360 game. I could be wrong. Please correct me uh, in the comments if I am. Uh, but I've played that remaster, and it's dated, and I couldn't, I didn't get super sucked into it. But I played enough of it, and I felt enough of it to be like, ooh, I would love a modern version of this. And Dragon's Dogma 2 is literally a modern version of, of that first game. So, uh, obviously, with a new story and stuff like that. So, if that game modernizes and brings forward all of the stuff it was doing originally, and then brings it up to a more contemporary you know, style and stuff like that, I'm, I'm predicting right now that Dragon's Dogma 2 could easily be the Baldur's Gate 3 of 2024. It's, um, I, I, I think people have a, got a taste of that and kind of that really in-depth, especially like interpersonal relationships and all that stuff. Um, if Dragon's Dogma does the things I think it's probably going to do in this next game, um, I could see a lot of people being really sucked into that. And what's really interesting about that is that if Dragon's Dogma comes out in March and we're looking at the Dragon Age Dreadwolf release maybe being in like may or june um that would be uh, that would be really interesting because it would either suck all of the breath out of, of dragon age if people play a game that has a similar idea and maybe is better maybe isn't we, we don't have any idea yet uh, a couple months before it comes out or people could get dragon's dogma 2 play it for a couple months start to slow down on it and then a game like Dread, dragon age dreadwolf comes out and they're like hey if you like that Here's our version. It's Dragon Age. You've heard of Dragon Age before. And so um, I'm, I'm really curious to how that uh, may play out. So I'm excited to see more from uh, Dragon's Dogma too. And, uh, and, and we'll see how it plays out in the long run uh, in, in comparison to a potential release of Dragon Age Dreadwolf. Uh, just very briefly, we got a, some new gameplay from the upcoming Rocksteady game, uh, the Suicide Squad game. Um, this is a really interesting one. This game has pretty much been universally panned. Uh, people being really mad about a bunch of stuff that they don't like. That it looks like it's going to be a games of, of the serv of a service. It's going to have all of these elements that people just don't want and that you know are kind of stuck a few years behind, which is fair. I've been talking a lot about that as well. Um, what I will say is that this new trailer they put out with this gameplay looks a lot better than it did from what we've seen before. 
Um, and it does look like it's going to have some fun writing. The story is going to be kind of fun and goofy, uh, but with some kind of scary or, or cool moments as well. I'm not as willing to just write this off as so many people are. Um, what, what really frustrates me, and maybe it becomes like a devil's advocate situation, is that you know it seems like a lot of the talking heads and the game commentary uh, business, like they, 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 they start like they sit around and they like get all hyped up to like hate stuff now. And this is one of the games that definitely received that treatment in my opinion. And, and it seems like they're just so determined to hate this game. Like I feel like this game could come out and be masterful and you'll still see a bunch of people give it like six and sevens just because they can't let it be good because they said it would be bad for so long. So I'm seeing some people turn around a little bit and seem like that, you know, maybe they are somewhat willing to um, p potentially, you know, give this game a chance or, you know, it seems like some of the talking heads have been kind of, you know, even throwing out the possibility of like, oh, does this actually look kind of good? I think it might look good, but we'll have to wait and see. Maybe it won't be good. Maybe it's going to be terrible. I, I have no idea, but um, I, I really hope it's good. I, I'm, I'm kind of sick at this point of wanting things to fail. I, I think, you know, I've been guilty of it in the past. Uh, I think people in the industry right now are extremely guilty of it. And I think that sucks because even bad games had a ton of passion behind them. And I really hate the idea of like rooting for something to fail that people spent some people, their entire careers on so far. So we'll see, uh, to wrap things up here, we have the layoff roundup, uh, embracer group announces that they're, uh, they've laid off 904 more people and that we should expect more layoffs, studio closures and studio sales and probably IP sales as well in the future. They have, um, some gigantic payment on a loan due in April, uh, that they only have like half the funds for right now. And so they're going to have to raise that money somehow, some big deal they were trying to do with some Saudi Arabian, uh, you know, money people didn't go through and they are proving that embracer group just has no idea what they're doing. They got in way over their heads and they never had a plan on how to make it work. And now hundreds of thousands of people are suffering because of it, because they couldn't hold their beer and, um, it, it really sucks. And, and what you, what people need to realize, there are some really big brands and really big IPs and really amazing studios wrapped up in all of this that are only going to suffer. And while I'm sure a lot of the prominent ones and the prominent devs and the prominent IPs, you know, even if Embracer Group folds and falls apart, will get saved. There's a lot that won't. And it's really hard watching Embracer Group just you know, the, watching the inevitable approach that they are going to fold. They are going to have to sell off or shut down all of the studios they have. They are going to have to sell off all of the IP they own. And, and, and the, and the people in charge are probably going to make out scot-free uh, and probably very rich. And all of the people who are actually trying to make this work are going to be out of work and hoping to find a way to make a living. Embracer Group sucks. <laughs> um, and then moving on, Sega of America is currently trying to lay off 80 unionized workers. Um, I don't know a ton about that stuff, so I won't pretend to. I'm just under the impression that uh, that these workers are full up, straight up unionized. And that makes firing them extremely challenging unless you have some really good reasoning. And it's kind of a thing where you can't just lay them off because you're trying to save money. It's There's more to it than that. 
Uh, and then finally, Amazon laid off 180 people, including uh, their entire Crown channel, which I guess was uh, a number of people who specifically worked on one channel they had that I think was trying to um, do, you know, kind of like pump up games and stuff like that. Uh, and then their game growth team, uh, which was, I assume, part of that. Uh, and they're going to try to focus more of their efforts on their prime gaming brand and all of that. So this puts us over something like 7,000 layoffs this year, despite the fact that much of the industry is having record profits. I understand it's a much more complicated situation than just saying those words together. But from a layman's point of view, it just seems weird that a lot of these companies are doing really well, even to the point of some of them having like record years while they're also laying off hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, one thing I didn't mention about the game awards is one of the, the, the like the, the best game community treatment or whatever award uh, or community team or something nominated destiny Two. And if you don't remember that story or didn't look into it yourself, you, you will know that um, they laid off half of their community team, including people like Liana Rupert, who is, you know, a pretty prominent person and, the Destiny community, obviously, uh, but also the Mass Effect community. She's a big fan and has been for a long time. So um, I, I, I won't pretend like I understand it all. I'm sure there are technical reasons why these things are happening. But just from a layman point of view, from a from a meta overhead point of view, it just seems, um, seems pretty messed up, seems super greedy, and seems like maybe this, this kind of stuff shouldn't be happening uh, while other people are... Uh, making out like bandits off of it. But what do I know? Uh, as for listener questions, we had a couple saved up. Um, we have uh, a couple here from YouTube's. Um, what is your favorite dialogue and or choice system that you've experienced in a game? I'm pretty sure I answered that last week, so I'm just going to skip it. And uh, the other one, the new one was, uh, what was your favorite Madden and Call of Duty? Um, Madden, I would look back to, God, I think it was 07 when it was on PC still. Uh, before they stopped doing that. I don't know if they're doing it again. I actually haven't paid attention. Uh, and there was just something about playing on PC that was really cool. I, I can't even really explain it. I don't know if it was even much better than playing on console, but I just liked it, and that's what I did. So I remember that pretty clearly. Um, I also will go back to the days of, like, 98, I think, when my dad and I used to play all the time, and uh, when we would have these like grudge matches, uh, I'll never forget that neither one of us ever kicked field goals. We would always fake it on punts and field goals, and so I remember all the time John Madden's voice going, it's a fake, and the other thing I remember uh, from those old, old games was whenever you would tackle someone really hard, uh, John Madden would say, he got up looking out of his ear hole, <laughs> so some good memories there. Um, with Call of Duty, it's got to be Call of Duty 4. Modern Warfare is just, and, you know, I, I played all of the ones before that, and I've played most of them since. Uh, but something about Modern Warfare, it, it came out, I was in college. I was living with roommates. We all had uh, Xbox 360s and Xbox Live and headsets. And for years, we played Modern Warfare a ton and Modern Warfare 2 when it came out and so on. Um, we, we competed in, uh, game battles. If anyone remembers that website where you could, there was like rankings and leaderboards and, and tournaments and all that. We played in that and did really good in it. We were really high ranked players in that, uh, during college years, that website is actually just now shutting down, which blew my mind that it was still alive. And, uh, so that I, I, I had to, you know, message all my buddies about that and uh, about that end of an era. And so those are probably the ones I remember the most. 
Um, I have kept up with Call of Duty more so than Madden. I will play Madden when it pops up on uh, on the EA Play thing that you get with Game Pass. You can play like 10 hours of the new uh, EA games. Um, and I'll always play those, you know, a few hours of Madden and FIFA and, and when those games come out. But it's been a long time since I've gotten like deep into it. I'm really hoping um, that the next college game that comes out next year will go back to some of their legacy where like those football games, especially college, used to be basically like an RPG, but with sports. With recruiting and the way you treated your team and the way you prepared and like, it, you know, you recruited freshmen to try and you would try to build them up and put them in positions where they would perform the best and all this stuff. Um you know, it really was like my first RPG games that, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but now as an adult, I do. And so I have a lot of hopes that that next college game may kind of get back to that, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, and then call of duty. I, I buy basically every modern call of duty game. I I'm, I'm kind of done with the old like black ops games and stuff or world war two. I was never really interested in the like futuristic ones, but modern warfare two from 2000 uh, or modern warfare from 2019, Modern Warfare 2 that came out was just like last year, I think. Uh, I actually did not buy 3 because I saw all the stuff about it. Um, but I, I definitely keep up more with those. I love the stories. I'll play a couple weeks of the multiplayer and then I bounce. I never got into Warzone. Um, but, but I still generally like both franchises. I'm more involved with Call of Duty. And, um, and then the last question you had here is, are they missing anything that your favorites had? I think they're missing some of the soul. Um, but I also think that what's really missing is my childhood <laughs> and me being a younger guy and not having all the responsibilities and the things I have to do now where, you know, I literally used to be able to just wake up and play Call of Duty all day when I was in college and stuff like that. And that just isn't a thing anymore. I can't do that anymore. So um, as much as I would love to, and sometimes I, I do my best to relive those glory days, quote unquote, uh, that, that's probably what's missing. But it's a great question. Um, if you have any of your own questions or topics for next week, uh, please let me know in the comments of the YouTube video. You can jump into my Discord, which there's a link in the Linktree link in the description. Uh, or you can shoot me an email, uh, or you can send a carrier pigeon. I don't know. Good luck. And uh, that's where I'm going to wrap it up. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please interact with the show in any way that you can. Uh, this being a solo podcast, the best way for me to get feedback and ideas for other shows is to hear from you all. So please get to me one way or the other. I would very much appreciate that. And if, if you have uh, feedback or thoughts on the show, I am always open to hearing that. You can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel, uh, especially over on Twitch, where I do try to stream a few times a week and we can talk about all of this stuff. And that is a multi-stream. So if you follow me on YouTube, I will also be on there when I am streaming. If you want to support this content, please check out patreon.com slash bond diesel. Uh, you can join as a YouTube member. Both of those are as little as $1. You can subscribe over at Twitch. Uh, you can even use your Amazon prime free sub if you want. Uh, or you can check out uh, my merch and uh, other things in the link tree link down in the description below. That is all I have. So until next time.